Good morning. Welcome to Life Point. Thanks for coming today. Well, we are in the fourth week of a series called The Chase. We've been looking at the life of an Old Testament character named King Solomon. And King Solomon, is, his life's kind of like this great experiment that what would someone be like if they got everything they ever wanted? What would a life like that look like? And you can read one of Solomon's books in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes, and he will tell you what it's like to get everything you ever wanted in abundance. And he can tell you what a life like that would look like. We called this series The Chase because there are many times in life, in fact, a lot of times in life, when we think if we could just get to this next place, If we could just acquire this next thing or just get this relationship or get rid of that or gain that, if we could just get there, then everything is going to work. Everything's going to be better and we're finally going to be able to have this fulfillment and this meaning that we had never had before. And so we chase and we chase and we chase searching for that next thing. Solomon did the same thing, except he caught all of the things that we chase for, chase after. He caught all the money. He caught all of the relationships and the physical pleasure. He caught all of the fame. He caught all of the wisdom, all of the material wealth. He caught everything And yet, if you've ever heard of Solomon before, you've probably heard he said the words, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 2 today. There are some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. Those Bibles are yours to keep. If you need one or would like an extra one, just take it home with you. If you just want to borrow it as I read through several verses today, you can do that and leave it in the back on your way out after the service. Has anybody had fun this weekend? All right. Okay, some. How about anybody over 18 had fun this weekend? All right. Okay. They beat you. They beat you. You know, we do like to have fun, and I think God created us like that to want to have fun. And fun is one of the things that we chase because we think, I've just got to have this fulfillment. I've just got to have this thing in my life, and if I'm able to experience this enjoyment, then life's going to really mean something. And fun for you, you're probably going to have fun this afternoon. Some of you are going to indulge in some pleasure this afternoon. Now, for you, indulging in pleasure might be you know, bellying up to the table at lunch and stuff in your face. Maybe that's like you can't wait and you're like, I hope this is a short one today because I'm really hungry. Some of you, fun might be when you get home and you indulge in pleasure by laying on the couch and watching football. Maybe that's fun. For some of you, maybe fun today is finding out where the ultimate Frisbee game is and going and participating in that. We like to have fun. Fun is pleasurable. Fun fills us up. Solomon chased after fun the same way we do, except he had unlimited resources to do it. Imagine chasing after all the things you think would be fun and pleasurable, and yet you had every resource at your disposal to do it. Would life look a little bit different for you? 
In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Solomon tells us what it's like to chase pleasure. He says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? And so he goes on after this to tell us, here are all the things I've done, Solomon says, to have fun. And here's the result. So here's what he says. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. He's saying, like, life is short. I'm going to live it up. So he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all of my labor. What he's saying is, all this work I did to get all this stuff done for my pleasure, I was rewarded because look at what I got to enjoy. Just imagine Just imagine, you get to do anything you want. That's Solomon. If he saw it and wanted it, he got it. If he felt it and wanted it, he did it. It didn't matter what it was. He had the resources to make it happen. And so far in this story, he says, and it was the reward for all of my hard work. I deserved it all because I worked so hard. Look at all this stuff that I deserved. In this, in this passage, pleasure means a couple different things. Pleasure, if you look at the, the original language, which was Hebrew in the Old Testament, pleasure meant a couple different things. It could mean pleasure just like, you know, how it feels when you get to eat your favorite meal. When you get to do something that you like, it just means enjoyable. But pleasure also went a little bit deeper, and it means sensual desires, deeper desires, physical desires, intimacy desires. And Solomon fulfilled every single one of those, no matter how over the top it seemed, he did it. But in the pursuit of all of those pleasures, here's his conclusion. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. That tells me, here's this rich man who could do anything he ever wanted. He was also wise and blessed by God in amazing ways. And he says, nothing was gained. All that material stuff he talked about, all that emotional and relational stuff where you would say, man, great job, man, great job, you're doing great. And, you know, all the guys would be punching him on the arm saying, awesome, you're doing great. He says, it's nothing 
It meant nothing. It was full of no meaning. It meant nothing in my life. And that tells us that I can chase pleasure in all of its forms and still be empty on the inside. A few weeks ago, I don't remember what channel it was or what show it was, but I was watching this interview with Lady Gaga. Now, I'm not a big Lady Gaga fan. I'm not a fan at all of Lady Gaga, but she can sing, and, and you know, she's got re- a great voice, and you would think someone that famous and someone that just over the top and all the things that she does would be a very happy person, but the interviewer in the discussion talk, was talking to her about life, and she responded with, I'm really depressed and I'm really sad, and I'm really unhappy most of the time. How could someone like that, who has everything at their disposal, say, I'm just not really happy? How could Solomon say, I can do all these things, but life pretty much is meaningless? I mean, it leaves me thinking with, I'd like to give that a shot. Give me what they got, and let me give it a try. I think I could probably do better. Who thinks they could do better? Then Solomon and Lady Gaga. I could probably be a little, you know, you'd think that, right? We think, well, if I had the chance they have, then life would be better for me. And I'm sure before they had what they had, they thought the same thing. I can chase pleasure in all of its forms. And no matter what things look like on the outside, I can still be empty on the inside. And Solomon said something in that first verse that I read that was key to what led him to the conclusion that it all meant nothing. In the first few words of chapter 2, verse 1, Solomon said, I thought in my heart. So everything that comes after that means that Solomon was following his heart. And we, we get all romantic when somebody says that. Oh, you just follow your heart, buddy. You just do the best. You just follow whatever God puts on your heart, whatever you feel, just follow that. And it works out, right? In the movies, you know, just follow your heart and everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be okay. Just search deep down inside and follow that. There's a big problem with that. Our hearts, our feelings can get us into trouble. I think of the trouble I've gotten myself into in life, it wasn't because I said, now that's the wrong thing, I'm going to go do it. We don't usually say that. Hey, I'm going to make some really bad decisions today and do some really stupid stuff, I just want you to know. Most of the time, when we look back and say, that was dumb, that, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that, it's, we didn't make the decision thinking it was a bad one unless we're just kind of, you know, ooh, in the head. You make the decision thinking this is the right thing to do. This is, given, given the circumstances, this is what I should do. And if you think back about the binds you've gotten yourself into, it's probably because you trusted in your feelings. You trusted in your heart. You're, you're standing and there's a sale. And you think, well, I'm saving money. I'm going to buy this. And you whip out the credit card because you know you got a big limit. And you just start purchasing away because it makes sense. Honey, we're saving money. It's 500 bucks cheaper than it was last month. We, we're going to buy one now. We're saving money. How does, I never understand how that works. You save money when you buy something. Or you're standing on a car lot and you see this car and you smell. 
that inside new car smell that is like a little bit of, bit of heaven sprayed inside of a car and you, you want it. And so you get it because your heart is just like, this is the right thing. And, and God would want me to have this. This is a really important thing. And you justify a decision by the way you feel and then you turn around and you're in so much debt that, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this? Well, stop making those kind of decisions. The first place to start, stop making a decision just because you feel it. Relationally, how many decisions have you made that you wish you could go back and do again? I got a few of those, man. That you wish you could say it differently or react differently or decide differently. All of that comes from saying, I'm just going to be guided by my heart. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to put that at the top and people end up in debt, depressed, horrible relationships, broken relationships, all because they followed their heart. And the quicker we discover that we can't trust our heart, the quicker that we're going to be on the pathway to true pleasure. Because I have to look outside of myself for something else. I can't just use my heart. I need something else guiding me. I need another guiding factor in my life. Because if I just use my heart, I can justify anything I want to justify, right? If you just use the way you feel, you could justify doing anything to anybody or with anybody because you feel it. And you just say, well, I I felt it in my heart. I just felt it. Here's what the Bible says about our hearts. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And when the Bible mentions heart, it's sometimes talking about that organ that beats in your chest that keeps you alive. But in this case, it's talking about something much deeper than that. The the word for heart means inner person or middle person. Sometimes it's translated thoughts or mind or feelings, which will deceive us. I have sat with people and had them say, you don't understand. You don't understand how I feel and I have to do this and I know there's going to be consequences and I know that it's going to hurt people, but you don't understand. I got this feeling and I've got to go for it. And inside I'm thinking, train wreck getting ready to happen. When somebody starts talking about you don't understand, I feel this is the right thing deep inside. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I mean, Solomon's not a real encouraging guy all the time, but it's true. You can believe you're going in the right direction, but Solomon says in the end, it can lead to death. Now, understand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't follow our God-given passions and desires, because I believe God gives, gives those to all of us. God-given desires and passions to do things that make a big difference in the world. When you're doing those things, there's going to be a spiritual, relational, and practical fulfillment that will not exist with the things that start within you. The difference is, when you're chasing the passions that God has put in inside of you, they're aligned with him and his will. And you start with him, not with you. Solomon started in his own heart and he was deceived. 
Chasing pleasure says, if it feels right, do it. And a lot of people live with, if it feels right, do it. And they're living with emptiness and broken relationship. Because when we're chasing pleasure, pleasure is not easily satisfied. Pleasure always requires more. In 1904, at the St. Louis World's Fair that was held in St. Louis, you could get something for the very first time you ever could, and that was an ice cream cone that could be put in uh, ice cream that could be put into a cone, and you could walk away and take it with you. First time ice cream was served that way, and you had all these choices: vanilla. That was it. There wasn't what would you like? What well, can you twist it up? Can you put some sprinkles on? None of that. Vanilla. And it wasn't long though till Baskin Robbins came along, and well, we got thirty-one flavors. Not just vanilla, we got vanilla and 30 other ones. And if you go to like Cold Stone Creamery, there's like how many combinations of ice cream can you get there for 20 bucks? You know, it's just like (laughs) thousands of thousands of different flavors and combination. You ever eat, you ever get a bag of uh, fun size candies? And you start eating them and and they're not fun anymore, you know, because your belly starts to hurt. You know, one's not enough, two's not enough, and... 12 is not enough, and 14, and you know it, the fun size is all gone, and you're like, oh my gosh. It's hard to be satisfied. You would think fun size, you could eat one, have some fun, and be over with, but it's not. You just keep going and going and going. The same way ice cream didn't stay vanilla, the same way you can't just have one fun size piece of chocolate. When you're chasing pleasure, it always requires more and more and more. If you think happiness and contentment and coping is found at the bottom of a bottle, you'll have one drink, then another drink, then another drink, and that won't do it anymore, so you need more, and you need more, and you need more, because you think somewhere at the bottom of this, I'm going to have this this feeling that I really need, this feeling that's going to make life make sense. If you think the harmless little flirting And when you get a little bit back, a little bit of flirting back, if you think that's harmless, that won't do for long. If you think visiting a website you shouldn't and then clearing the history so nobody really knows, if you think that's going to work, it's going to just escalate more and more and more. Because anytime we're chasing pleasure, the initial contact with that pleasure will never be enough. We're always going to want more and more and more. And that is probably the greatest danger in living a life that chases after pleasure is that you always are going to want more. More of the things that may not necessarily be bad. I mean, if if you're searching after some more money, that's not a bad thing. If you want to buy some nice stuff, that's not a bad thing, just so you don't go in crazy debt to do it. There's nothing wrong with those things, except those things are not designed to be the destination of your chase. Those things are not designed to fill you up. And if you want to find true pleasure, if you're taking notes, make sure you write this down. Finding true pleasure requires surrender. Finding true pleasure requires surrender. 
Not because God doesn't want me to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have fun. He wants us to laugh. He wants us to have parties. He wants us to enjoy our lives. But he also requires surrender. And Jesus Jesus talks about this story of surrender in the New Testament. He's talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he's trying to describe what that is like for his followers and for the people who are listening to him. They want to know, what is this kingdom like that you keep talking about? And Jesus gives some insight to the pleasure that Solomon was seeking, that we seek, when he tells the story in Matthew 13, beginning at verse 44, about this man. He says it like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. In the, in the New Testament, when you read kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, uh, we start thinking this earthly physical kingdom, but the most simple way to, to explain that is that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in people's lives. So Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. When somebody finds it, they will give up everything in order to get it. And that's what this guy did. He finds it and he determines that there's nothing more valuable than this treasure. Jesus is talking about his kingdom, his rule in people's lives. And he goes and he sells everything that he had in order to get it. If you had run into him on the road and and said, hey, what are you doing? Um, He would have said, I'm about to get the deal of a lifetime. You wouldn't, how much are you going to pay? Everything I got. Now, we like to tell people about good deals, right? Hey, nice sweater, six bucks at Kohl's. What do you think? Nice car, I got a steal on it. I ripped this guy off. I got it so cheap. I mean, we like, don't you like to tell people when you got a deal? You just feel like you've accomplished something when you walk out of somewhere where there was a salesman and you got him to sell it cheaper or you got a better price. You like to tell people. And if this guy would have run into somebody, he would have said what a deal he got. And the deal wasn't that he just had to pay a few dollars for it. The deal was, all I got to give up is everything. I just give up everything and I get this treasure. He was obviously seeking because he found a treasure. So Jesus is telling this story about somebody who's chasing or seeking. And they find this treasure that Jesus is comparing it to the rule and reign of God in his life. And he gives up everything he has to get it. It's hard to give up things sometimes. Anybody have anything sentimental in your family? I, I have some sentimental books that belonged to my late grandfather, who was a minister for 52 years. He, he preached at this one little church in the country. And he has some books that, that I got after he died, and some of them are over 100 years old. And I was going to bring one and hold it up today, but I forgot. But if I held that book up and I said, and you said, I want that book, I mean, the right response would be for me to say, it is not for sale. But that's not true. There's, it's not for sale, but there is a limit. If you start rattling off prices, there's a limit where I'm no longer sentimental. <laughs> there's a limit where I'm going to say, well, Pap, you understand it's just a book. You know, I can't really do anything with it. Let me take a picture I mean, I would, I would let it go for a, when, when what you had became more valuable to me 
than that book, we would have a deal. And that's what this guy determined who found this treasure. All of his stuff was worth a lot to him. But he found something that was worth more, so he got rid of everything. When God's rule and reign in your life becomes more valuable than what you must give up to get it, you're on the edge of experiencing true pleasure. When God's rule in your life becomes more valuable to you than what you have to give up in order to receive that, you are on the edge of experiencing the kind of pleasure that Solomon never got to get. The question is, what am I willing to give up? What am I willing to value less than experiencing true pleasure and give it up? That could be different things for different people. But whatever's missing in your life that makes you seek after pleasure, there is something that you should give up to get the real pleasure that God offers all of us. Here's, here's another way Jesus said it. Matthew 10, verse 39. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So how do I lose my life? I give up whatever I have to give up in order to align my life with God's desire. What if it's giving up money? Give it up. What if it's giving up material things? Give it up. But you won't give it up until what God has for you is more valuable in your mind than what you possess. Now, here's the cool part about giving stuff up to God, because that sounds kind of like, what does that mean, giving stuff up to God? God doesn't have a bank account, but he'll use yours. I have a friend who, when, when I start rattling off the numbers that our building's going to cost us or whatever because I have this aversion to debt and, and so I didn't really, don't really want us to be there where we can't handle it and I'll start rattling stuff off and he'll say, Donnie, calm down. God's got plenty of money. And I say, but he puts it in your bank account. That's, I mean, he keeps his money with you. So if that's what you're chasing, how do you give it up? You just give it over to God. He's going to give it right back to you to manage for him. It's more of changing a perspective. It doesn't mean that you go empty out your bank account or sell all of your cool stuff. Enjoy that. But it changes your perspective in that now it's no longer your money that you've earned. It's God's money that he's blessed you with in order for you to manage. You see the difference? It's no longer your house. It's the house that God's blessed you with. It's no longer your husband or your wife. It's the person that God has given you to spend the rest of your life with. And that changes perspective, and that also changes what we believe that pleasure is. They're not your kids. They're God's kids, and he gave them to you to raise. And when we're willing to give that up and say, God, this is yours. I will be happy to manage it for you. You will find pleasure in your stuff and your life that you never found before. See, Solomon said, I searched, I searched in my heart. I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. How do you think it would have turned out different if Solomon would have said, I said to God, I will give up all that I have to find true pleasure in you. In the book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says, Instead of focusing on the cost of giving things over to Christ, focus instead on the high price 
that, I, that you have been paying by keeping them in your control. So what do you need to surrender to find true pleasure? Following God, surrendering your stuff, your chase, your pursuits to him will lead to the life of pleasure that you're seeking. Growing up, I had this view of church that was really boring. I I didn't want to go. It was this old, musty, smelly building. Nobody smiled. Nobody looked happy. And I was like, that is not what I'm looking for in life. Not this angry, unhappy, really somber, uh, I'm looking for something else. And so I just said, forget it. And then, when I was in my early 20s, a friend started sharing the scriptures with me, what they really said. And I remember reading John chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus said, I've come that you can have life and have it to the full. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I thought a life with Jesus meant giving up a bunch of stuff. A life with Jesus means I get to live a full life. The word full means exceedingly full, over full, abundance, over the top. That's the kind of life he wants for each of us. And we chase what we think is pleasurable and we're giving up this full, over the top life. When we read about Solomon, who's supposed to be wise, saying, hey, it's meaningless. We hear stars like Lady Gaga saying, I'm depressed, I'm unhappy and sad most of the time, in spite of having all of these things. And yet we say, well, I want to chase that too, because I want to be like them. Instead of chasing that, let's start to chase the life that Christ offers us. And all it requires is valuing it more than the other things that we're chasing. Hopefully all of you walk out of here and go out to the back where we're going to have the baptism service in just a few minutes. And what you will see are people who have accepted the message of Christ and surrendered their life. And then you're going to see this ceremony where they're lowered into the water and they're raised, the Bible says, raised to walk a new life. In a symbolic way, showing what God has done in their life as they have surrendered their lives to him and be raised to walk in new life. You could do that today. You could come up and talk to me right after service and say, I want to get baptized and we'll figure out the shorts and the t-shirts and all that. And we'll do it today. You can also do that in other areas of your life. Surrender. Value the life to the full that Jesus offers more than the other stuff that you're chasing and you are on the edge of experiencing true pleasure. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these words that challenge us, encourage us, and show us that we can truly experience your pleasure when we're willing to value what you offer us more than what we can find on our own. God, thank you for this group of people who have met here today to worship you, to hear from you, and to witness other people taking their next steps of faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.